1, verse 19, John writes, and this is what God had told him, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. That, that's the outline of Revelation. And so, see in chapter 1, we see the, uh, the, the first point would be uh, those things which thou hast seen. And then in verses two, or chapters 2 and 3, we have the things which are. That's dealing with the seven churches that we looked at. And now we get into chapter 4 through ver- uh, chapter 22. And we're going to see the things hereafter. And so, um, and, and I already mentioned this last time we were looking at this, but uh, you, you can do a lot of speculating on, on much of, of what it says because we are talking about something that's future. And so we're not God and, and we can't see into the future. However, we can find that much of what he tells us that's going to take place, he backs it up with Scripture in other places. And I'm going to do my best to bring those to light as we go through this and, and help understand some of this as we go. And, and I'm, I can't answer all of the questions, I'm sure, and uh, that's okay. Uh, we will uh, get the answers that we need when we need them. But... Uh, we are going to get into chapter 4 here, and, and I already looked at and already preached a message on uh, the events that, that uh, take place before the tribulation. But you have to remember that one of the, the biggest aspects that we're going to see here, after chapter 3, you do not see the church mentioned again. And I do believe the reason being is this is when the rapture takes place, and so we are what is considered pre-tribulational, and so we do believe that the church uh, is taken out at the beginning of the tribulation period. That will mark the beginning of the tribulation, and the tribulation is the seven years that uh, is going to be the, the wrath of God upon this world and, and, and uh, dealing with the unbelieving Jews, dealing with the unbelieving Gentiles, and uh, also uh, revealing a remnant of those who will be believers during that time but and so the we already looked at this i don't want to go back through it all but uh events taking place before the tribulation then very next thing to take place if if we are talking about prophecy the very first thing that will take place is the rapture of the church now i i know that uh since covid we we have seen many things take place about you know, people thinking that this is the mark of the beast or this could be the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast does not take place until the tribulation period. And so uh, we, we can see how uh, Satan can be uh, getting things in order to where it will be easily done. I, I don't know if you guys saw this or not. Just this week it came out an article where Amazon, I didn't read the article, I just read the headlines, but somehow Amazon's wanting to give you something that I think you can implant in your in your hand or your wrist or whatever, and you can just scan that and pay for your Amazon accounts. And so, uh, you know, there are things like that that we have, and 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 uh, there's all, all talk about that. There's uh, different things that, that would be the mark of the beast, and uh, I'm not going to get into that because the the rapture is the next thing to take place. And 
we as believers don't need to be concerned about it. And I truly do believe that the, the scripture is very evident here that we will be gone. And so praise the Lord for that. He tells one verse in itself in Thessalonians that he will save us from the wrath to come. And he's very pointed and very restrictive in talking about the wrath to come. And so uh, we're not going to be here during the wrath of God. Praise the Lord for that. And so we will be gone. So the rapture of the church, it's imminent. It could take place at any time. And so we need to be ready for that because also I believe that right after the rapture, then while we are there in heaven, as after we have been raptured, then uh, at some point in time during that time is the judgment seat of Christ. That's for the believers. And so our sin, you always need to remember this, our sin has been judged at the cross. When you, when you trusted and placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins were judged at the cross. And they're covered by the blood of Christ, and praise the Lord for that. However, we as believers are going to go through the judgment seat of Christ, which is the Bema seat of Christ, which he mentions in Corinthians, and, and it's there that we are going to give an account for what we do as believers. And so our works will be judged, not our salvation, but our works. And so we need to be asking ourselves, why are we doing what we are doing? And so the judgment seat of Christ will uh, take place at, uh, during that time. And then, uh, so, and then also I believe that during that time, that's where we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all of those things will be taking place. And then we see the tribulation period coming. And I don't know how that works. I don't know in that first maybe three and a half years uh, when the tribulation is, is really pretty relatively smooth and there's a lot of rumblings and things going on, but uh, uh, wars, rumors of wars, those kinds of things going on during the tribulation period. The Antichrist is preparing to set up his throne and, and take over a lot of those things. And maybe while that's taking place here on earth, that's when we have the judgment seat of Christ. That's when we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm not sure. On the judgment seat of Christ, too, we would, we would actually kind of, I was thinking of this today, we kind of give thought to what we deal with as a judge, and the judge will take this one and hear this case and then move on to this case and move on to this case, but we're not dealing with a judge like that. We're dealing with a judge that sees all, knows all, and is everywhere and why can he not be in the judgment seat of Christ doing it all at one time and be done rather quickly? I'm not sure, but I think that that could be the case. But we have all of those things going on, but, uh, uh, and I already dealt with that, but that kind of gives you an idea as we jump into chapter 4 now. And in chapter 4, we have the heavenly scene. And this is all of chapter 4 and, and uh, chapter 5, and, and we won't get that far today, but... We're going to start in verse 1, and verses 1 through 3, the first thing that we see is the throne, and it's the throne of God, and, and it's the third point of the outline uh, that we saw there in chapter 1 and verse 19. And so after this, after he has written down what he's seen in chapters 1, 2, and 3, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be 
uh, hereafter. And, and so after these three chapters, the door's been opened by God, and, and, the, and it's a passageway that we could say that goes into heaven, and, and it uh, uh, is here that, that uh, 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 God is opening up the doors and letting him see what is going to take place. And the first voice that he hears has, uh, that uh, he had heard in chapter 1 and verse 11 was the voice of Christ. And uh, we, we know that, and Christ's voice was loud, it was sharp, it was clear, it was not to be ignored. And, and so now John was invited into heaven, and here he is to view the things which must be uh, hereafter in hearing the voice of God. And it tells us then that uh, in uh, verse 2 that, uh, and immediately I was in the Spirit. What does he mean by in the Spirit? I believe you can go back to 2 Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, if you want to follow with me back there, you can, but in, uh, it tells us in, in verse 21, 2 Peter 1, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. This wasn't something that John just pulled out of the air and wrote by his own will. That, that's not at all the case at all, and uh, just like the rest of the Word of God, but uh, we see that not by, uh, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And that word moved uh, means to be borne along, kind of like a, a sailboat that, that is out on the water and he puts up the sail and the wind pushes him along and, and it's the Holy Spirit that pushes him along to write the things that, that he writes. And and he writes exactly what God wants him to write, but he writes it in his words. And uh, that's why we see that, that they are different in uh, styles. And, and John and Peter being fishermen, when, when you go to study the, the Greek that it was originally written in, you find it to be more of a simple style that, that a fisherman would write. I mean, he wasn't as educated and... And so he wrote it as he, as he had his ability. And isn't that nice to know, too, that God uses us in our abilities? Doesn't he expect more than that? He just expects, expects us to use what he's given us. And, and Paul, then, you, you read some of the books that Paul wrote and, and, and uh, far more uh, uh, grammatically correct. Uh, he uses words in his vocabulary that many times he'll use a word that's only used one time in all of his letters. I, I mean, he was a very educated man, and, and uh, vocabulary was uh, um, far greater than those of the fishermen. But here we see that holy men spake as they were born along by the Holy Spirit of God. And so whenever we say that and read this, and immediately I was in the Spirit, then we can understand now what it's about and God leading him along to write these things, and, and uh, the throne was God the Father's, and, and it was in heaven. And it tells us that, and behold, a throne was set up in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And I do believe that we'll see this, that this is God the Father sitting at this throne. Because later we'll see it's the Lamb of God, Jesus, that comes and, and uh, takes the scroll from them, from him, and so now knowing that it's God the Father who's sitting at this throne. And then it goes on and it tells us that in he that sat was a look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And so now we, we give thought to the stones and sometimes it's hard to, to understand what colors they were. They, 
different meanings in, in other places, but, and, and I'm not sure that the colors matter so much as we do know that both of those stones are represented in, in the robe of the priest during the Old Testament. And so obviously it seems to me that it might be representing Israel in, in some form or fashion here and, and uh, uh, on, uh, on this throne. And, and there are several verses that, that talk about that. Revelation 21, verses uh, 10 and 11, uh, Exodus chapter 28, 17 through 21 gives us a description of the, the robes of the priest of that day. And, and uh, Sardis was mentioned first and Jasper um, mentioned last and and being a representing representation of Israel and <clears throat> so it probably is because I do believe that as we get into the the wrath of God in the tribulation period that it, it is dealing with Israel it's dealing with the nations who have become enemies of Israel it's dealing with the unbelieving Jews that that have tried to rob the identity of Israel and God wanted Israel to be different, and he wanted them to be believers in the Messiah and, and to follow God. And, and so it's, it's the wrath of God upon all of them, and, and only those of the remnant will be saved, as we know. And, and so then it goes on. So we're seeing a picture, and so he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And so that was the beautiful colors that they would see and uh, that he saw, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. I, I saw a picture just the other day. I don't know if anyone else saw it on Facebook or not, but somebody was flying, and they, they had taken a picture of a complete rainbow. They were able to see the entire thing, and, and I thought how amazing that was. And, and that's what we have here. They... John was able to see the entire rainbow, but it was one of emerald, and, and uh, so a beautiful emerald color, and, and, and the rainbow extended as a halo all the way around the throne. It was surrounded in, in an appearance like, or similar to an emerald or a bright green transparent uh, precious stone. And uh, could you imagine, you imagine that when he, whenever he's sitting there on this island of Patmos and and I do believe that his body is still there on Patmos and, and uh, his, his spirit is transported here to see this beautiful gates of heaven and see the throne of God. And uh, I, I cannot imagine how hard it would be to try to write words that could describe what he is seeing. I mean, the, the beautiful, uh, uh, just the magnificence of it would uh, be hard to explain, I'm sure. And so... He writes, and the Holy Spirit leads him to write these things. And, and so now we see the throne is surrounded by this emerald uh, rainbow. And, and then we see the objects that are uh, surrounding the throne of God in verses 4 through 8. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, there are several different types of crowns throughout the, the Scripture. And this crown is the crown of a victor. It's not the crown of a king, but it's the crown of a victor. And so, and, and I'll, I'll share why uh, this helps with why, what I think, who the 24 elders are. Now, there are some, you ask the question, who are the 24 elders? There's 
A lot of speculation. Some people want to say that they're angels. Some people say that they're Old Testament and New Testament saints both. Some say that they're New Testament saints only. And from what I can see in Scripture, I believe them to be the New Testament saints only. Because we'll find out that it's at the end of the tribulation before the Old Testament saints have their bodily resurrection. It's after the tribulation that the tribulation saints that, that trust Christ during the tribulation and, and uh, then are martyred, then their body is resurrected at the end of the tribulation period. And so here we are at the beginning of the tribulation period, and, and he's seeing these 24 seats, and they have 24 elders. And so uh, it just seems to me that... and. And I do believe it can't be angels either because they're clothed in white raiment, which represents the righteousness of Christ. And, and Jesus didn't die for the angels. The angels are a different creature than we are, a different creation. Look, people need to understand that when we die as children of God, we do not go to heaven and become an angel. We are still who we are. We're a creation of God, and we are different than angels. And so angels were a body that, uh, of, of angelic beings that God created. And, and there was a point in time where, where some of those rebelled with Satan, and they went with Satan, and the rest of them chose to stay with God. I do not see in the Scripture where they're still doing that. They made that choice at that one time. They, they do not procreate like human beings do. There was only a certain number of them from the very beginning. And so some chose to follow Satan, some chose to follow God. And there are, I don't know how many, millions upon millions of angels and, and uh, that some are in heaven, some are doing battle, some are, are what we call the demons of the day. And so, uh, and, and so uh, we're not talking about angels because Christ didn't die for the angels Christ died for people and it's we who have the white raiment those that have trusted Christ we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ look it's not our righteousness that buys our way to heaven and so we know that it's only the righteousness of Christ that gets us to heaven and so that's why I see that that partly because that's why I see is the reason that I say that these are uh, uh, people today. You can go to 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 7 through 19, and here you can also read where Solomon, whenever he builds the temple, that Solomon divided the Levitical priests into 24 different divisions, and they rotated. And so every division would eventually take their turn for a specific function, function that was designed for them to do. And, and it's said that every believer will be divided then into 24 groups and at some point in time will take his turn at the throne in sitting with Jesus Christ. I do believe that. Whenever Jesus came and died on that cross, and guess what he did? He was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was a king. He also then, as we can see, has made us priests ourselves. That's why we can go directly to the throne of God through Jesus and through his righteousness. And that's called the priesthood of the believer. And so now we understand that. And so from now on, when I refer to the 24 elders, in my mind, in my own studies, and in the biblical proof that I've laid out to you, 
uh, that we are referring to all the believers that are in heaven. Those 24 elders will represent the believers of the day, the, the New Testament believers that uh, have, have died or have been raptured and they are in heaven today are, are those, those 24 elders that are represented. And so uh, here we have. So, and it tells us that the four and 20 seats and upon the seats, I saw four and 20 elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold, of victor's crown, victor over death, victor over sin. We've been blood bought by Jesus Christ and so we have victory and we're in heaven uh, uh, with him for eternity. And so then it tells us, and out of the throne proceedeth, proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Whenever you give thought to what lightning and thundering and the voices representing judgment, representing the judgments of, of God, and, and so here uh, these uh, lightnings that are coming out of the throne and and. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, and he explains this himself, which are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit of God. And so seven representing the perfection, rep representing God himself and the Trinity. And, and so here we have God the Father, and we have God the Holy Spirit now being represented to us here as the seven spirits of God, as the, the completeness of the Holy Spirit of God. Turn over to Hebrew or Isaiah chapter 11, if you would. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. <clears throat> and thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. Even so, thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. And so a representation of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and so uh, the Holy Spirit there was described in seven different characteristics. And read through the passage, you'll see that. And so the number seven representing perfection, representing the completeness, completeness of the Holy Spirit. And then we continue on in verses 6 through 8, and we see more of what's going on at the throne. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass likened to crystal. And in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, so surrounding the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And so this glass was similar to crystal. It seemed to separate God's throne from, from the rest. It, it appears to be a, 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 as a glass sea, but without the water, and behind, and then on the other side, and around it, surrounding it, are these beasts that surrounded the throne. One in front, one behind, one on both sides of the throne. And uh, the guardians of the throne, and... Uh, it could be a combination, maybe, of cherubim and seraphim both. And so, uh, but these uh, were four living creatures, and all of the eyes, when you give thought to the eyes all, uh, all about them, that full of eyes before and behind just represents that their ability to see all that was going on around them. And so 
nothing was going to infiltrate that throne. And nothing will. And so guarded by these angels and these angelic beings. Well, then it goes into verse 7 explaining and giving us a description of them. And the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now you can go back to uh, Ezekiel chapter 1. And, and why don't we go back there? And, and uh, I, I just, I, I sometimes struggle reading Ezekiel. And I'm sure he had struggle writing some of these things down. I still don't understand the wheel very well that he talks about. But in Ezekiel 1 and verse 4, it tells us, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself. And a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire, also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. And their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a cast foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man, the face of a lion, on the right side, and the four had the face of an ox. On the left side, they four also had the face of an eagle. They, thus were their faces and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one even joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straight forward. Whether the spirit was to go, they went, and they turned not when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, representing judgment again, and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among living creatures, and the fire was bright. Now the fire went forth lightning. The living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. And so now we have the description again. We, we get back here to verse 7, and, and we see a description of these living creatures. The first be then, And that's what beast means. It means the, these living creatures. And, and then something that I found interesting, and it always stuck with me when all, all the way back when I was studying this in, in a class uh, at Ambassador years and years ago, all four of those have a way of describing Jesus, if you give thought to this. When, when you look back at this and it says the first beast was like a lion. When we think about a lion, we think about him being the king of the beasts. And, and the, he's the king, right? Well, whenever you read Matthew, we see that Jesus is represented as a king. And that's why we see in the very beginning of Matthew, he, he gives the, the, the kingly uh, uh, generations that lead up to Jesus and showing his, his rightful heir of the throne even through those generations. And so the lion representing the king of beasts, representing Jesus himself. The calf, whenever you give thought to a calf, a domestic animal, one that represents patience and labor, well, whenever you read the Gospel of Mark, and it really does help you when you read the Gospels and remembering this, Matthew represents him as a king. When you start reading Mark, you read Mark doesn't deal with a lot of the, the beginning things about Jesus' birth. As a matter of fact, when you start reading Mark, it's just, bam, Jesus is in the ministry doing the work. And so talking about the labor of our Savior and, 
representing uh, even a representation of him as a calf. And then thirdly, we have uh, the, uh, the third one uh, says, uh, had a face as a man. Whenever we think about Luke, we see him represented as a son of man. And so we, we think about man and we think about his intelligence. And, and uh, Luke is, is by far the most descriptive of all three. Matthew comes close to describing him as much as Luke. But Matthew and Luke give uh, a far different description and far more detailed description than the other two uh, gospels that we have, representing the Son of Man. And then fourthly, we see the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. The eagle, the greatest of birds, and the execution of judgment. And whenever you look at John, it's about the Son of God. In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And talking about him being the Son of God, and showing us all through the gospel that Jesus is God. That, that's why I tell people who have uh, newly trusted Christ and needing to know something about who Jesus is, I, I, I just tell them, I say, I think the first place you ought to go is read the Gospel of John. John tells you about Jesus and tells you about how he's the Son of God and that he is God himself and, and uh, the understanding and realization of that. And so I do believe that even here on the throne uh, of God himself representing Jesus Christ and who he is. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within, so they see everything. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. They never stop ascribing holiness to God. Day in and day out, they're praising His omnipotence and His eternality. They're praising Him and worshiping Him. Can you imagine the... The, the millions of angels that, that in heaven today are singing and giving him honor and glory and, and praising him for who he is. And, and one day we will be able to do the same thing. And, and I'm not sure what we'll do while we're in heaven. I'm not sure what, what kind of responsibilities we'll have. But I know that one of them, as the angels are singing and ascribing this holiness to God, I am certain that we will be doing much of the same thing. And so the worship of the angels and the elders, because it goes on and, and it tells us that not only are the angels worshiping him, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. Look, if the angels are giving God the glory and the honor and the thanks, then we also should be doing the same thing. Let us make sure that we're giving him the praise that he deserves and and the honor, and the reverence, and the respect that truly he is deserving to him, and, and thanks to him, the one sitting on the throne, God the Father, let us be thankful for him, and that we can approach his throne, and, and go there with confidence, and boldness, and knowing that we're covered by the blood of Christ. And so it tells us that he was, is, and is to come, he's always been, he had no beginning, he has no end, He's always existed and will so forever. And he's the one that we, we praise and give honor and glory to. Because then what does it say? The four and twenty elders fall down. Drop to a lower position. 
drop to our knees or maybe even fall flat upon our face and give God all the honor and the glory that he truly deserves. You know, it'd probably be good if we started doing that more so today. And let's give him the honor and the glory that he truly deserves and worship him and fall down before him that sat on the throne and they worship him. And that means to prostrate oneself. An attitude that we have of not of arrogance and not of one that, that is of hypocrisy, not of one where, where we might praise him with our lips, but then we live like the devil the rest of the week. But it's one in which we are truly uh, sincere and bold in our confidence of living the way that we ought to. Make sure that our words aren't louder than our actions and just trying to cover up our actions. Let's make sure that our actions back up what we say. Worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Whatever crowns we get and whatever, and this is why I say that the judgment seat has already taken place. Whatever we have been given, that those works that have gone through the fire and, and have been given to us in service to Christ, then you know exactly what we will do with all of those things. We'll take them and we're going to cast them at his feet because he truly deserves all. You know, and I think about this and I, and I give thought to, to what it is that, that, that I will give to him, being selfish here. I'm uh, you guys are on your own, okay? I can't help you out with what you do with your life. But, you know, what are we going to do with him? And, and what are we going to give to him? And, you know, we ought, to be, we ought to be working on that right now. You know, yes, we're saved by grace. And praise God that we are saved by grace. But we have a responsibility in the way that we live. And we need to be living in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And, and we're doing it for the right motives. And, and we're doing it for God and His honor and His glory. And, and, and so that one day that whenever we are there and, and, and we have these crowns that are given to us, that we can take them and give Him something. Let's do something great for God. Let, let's do what He wants us to do and cast their crowns before the before the throne saying thou art worthy O Lord boy he is worthy you know how we ought to give him everything that we have let's not wait till eternity comes to then we'll deal with what we're going to give him but let us give him now what is deserving O Lord to receive the recipient of glory and honor and power it's all about God. It's not about us. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure, which also has the idea of his will. He chose to do with us what he's wanted to do with us. They are and were created. You see, it's not about us. Nothing really truly is about us. It's about God. It's about his honor and about his glory. What does God want with you? What is it that God is asking for you to do? What is it that God is 
is seeking for you and laying on your heart to maybe move you out of your comfort zone and do something special for God? What is it that he's trying to do with you that, that will help you understand that your life isn't yours, it's his? And we just give it to him. And we just follow him and let him take us and use us and guide us and direct us and, and, and let him make us what he wants us to be because we have been created for thy pleasure. All things have been created for his pleasure, his will. So let's live according to that. What a glorious God we serve. What a beautiful picture we have of his magnificence, his honor, his splendor. Let us live in a way that truly is honor to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, we do. We just need to have the attitude to fall down, throw ourselves down as a sign of submission and a devotion to you. Lord, let our actions actually speak louder than our words. Let us walk carefully with you. Let us worship you with our lives, not just with our lips, but truly. Let us worship you with our hearts, our soul, our mind, and our body. And Father, I pray that you would give us a glimpse of your glory. Let us be reminded of what we need to be doing, how we ought to be living. And Lord, I pray that all of us would remember you're the one that's deserving. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we ask that your blessings be upon us. Take us safely this week and use us. Share your glorious gospel. Encourage believers. Show the world the love that they cannot comprehend without your help. And I pray that you will bless and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed.